0: i <laughs> Hey guys, what's up? It is week 226. I have some uh, movies to review for you. And the first up is Syllop, Daughters of Eve from 1985. And this is actually one I missed when we did our dive into 1985, as it's more of an exploitation kind of drama. This is from Mondo Macabro, one of the best companies. I would say the most underrated in the biz, that and Kino. A lot of the ones I love get a lot of love. But those two, I don't think, get the attention. I mean, they get the attention... But when you talk to a lot of hardcore genre fans, they never mention Mondo or Kino, and they really should be on Mondo. Mondo Macabro releases the craziest movies, if you're talking per per amount, almost every one of them is a banger or an insane or just something different. Um, yeah, this is a Filipino movie, and this is one that I, um, I'm not sure if I ever owned the DVD. I knew there was a DVD years back that they put out, um, and I did not expect this to be as extreme. Um, for more kind of familiar movies for a lot of people, I, I'm not sure how big of a following this one has. I imagine it has some sort of following. Um, I would compare it to something like Bedeviled from 2010 or even Impedigo, which came out last year. and. Uh, Bedeviled is the North Korean, and Empedigo is the Indonesian film, so um, I feel like it shares some DNA with those movies. So what we have here is this really repressed, isolated island, um, you think superstitious, um, more of a a male-dominated place where women aren't treated particularly well. And they also have the element where there's children constantly watching the adults and seeing a lot of their actions and, and obviously learning through that. They have a, the movie focuses on a pair of sisters, one who is really sexually repressed, who's in love with kind of the local, um, I guess, uh, Casanova or, you know, kind of gorgeous looking guy that kind of sleeps around and everything like that. And another who actually left the village and got more Westernized and she comes back with her boyfriend. Her boyfriend is terribly dubbed, um, and they come back, and, and a lot of it's in uh, the native language, um, and some of it's in English, the dubbing and everything. Uh, they And you can watch it in uh, the native language as well, too. Two different language choices, but there is subtitles in both versions, so beware. People that don't like to read subtitles, but I don't know why you'd be watching this channel if you didn't like movies with subtitles. So, okay, so what happens is there's obviously a turmoil between the sisters, and a lot of stuff comes to fruition about their past, but the, I don't want to spoil everything, but this movie went into some really crazy directions I did not expect um it's a big statement on superstition repression religious kind of um uh, stuff as well uh right up my alley it it, the runtime is two hours and five minutes so it is a little long but it is it's kind of an epic in a lot of ways at points it feels very much like an exploitation cheapy they refer to it as kind of in the vein of a pinky film on the back which i can see that but all, it also has a lot of social messages and real grit to it, um, some some violent murder scenes, and a lot of explicit sex, uh, tons of nudity, and what it looks like is real sex to me, at least enough to where they are touching their bumping uglies. Um, I thought that the ending was on the level of some of the more disturbing stuff I've seen, uh, including a gang rape being burned alive. Honestly, reminded me of some stuff from *Cannibal Holocaust* in, in a lot of ways. Probably just because it's shot in such a wonderful location, you're seeing such disgusting and awful things. But it also kind of tackles that that messed up part about humanity and repression and what what people will do in this kind of situation. Um, and history repeats itself. Uh, yeah, it's a really interesting movie. Um, that's really nasty in a lot of ways, but also uh, feels true. Um, on the disc, there's a bunch of special features, including. Um, a, uh, interview with the director, Elwood Perez, who mentions that this is not something he would make at the time of that interview, which was 2006. And uh, at the time, though, this was something that interested him. I think that was more important to get that kind of stuff out in the open for people to see that kind of hypocrisy and religious persecution and whatnot. Interview with actress Maria Isabel Lopez. Interview with actress uh, Sassy Emanuel. Interviews with art director, audio and um, well, audio commentary from Andrew Lovehold. And he talks a lot about um, the history of... Um, Indonesian film ratings, or is it Philippine? F- Fili- uh, Philippine, sorry. Philippines <laughs> ratings. And he talks a lot about the, you know, the different t- uh, changeovers and everything. And it, it reminds me a lot of the Spanish kind of rating system times with Franco and changes. And it just shows you kind of the history of film is even more interesting in other countries, the ratings and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, this is a really good release. It looked great and sounded great. Um, and I was just kind of taken back at first. I'm like, okay, we get this kind of sexy kind of, you know, pinky style exploitation, cheapy. And then as it went on, I was like, no, oh, there's a lot going on here. There's a lot of this kind of weird voice lawyerism and repression and religious statements of how how hypocritical they can be um and all that kind of stuff and then at the end you're just like what a gut punch what an awful awful experience and in, in the best kind of way right so that is daughters of eve from 1985 would recommend okay this next one is from Severn films and this should come as no surprise that i'm finally covering this one i covered some of his other films um no one heard the scream and the kinky uh, collection. This is another film by Eloy Del La Iglesia and this has actually had two previous Blu-ray releases. I'm not sure on the cuts on those. One was by Code Red under the apartment, uh, apartment on the 13th floor. Another was a Spanish import uh, Blu-ray. This is also put on DVD years back by Anger Bay, and then probably reissued by Blue Underground. I initially saw this movie when that Spanish Blu-ray hit, and it was one that I was interested in probably five years ago or so. And uh, of course, this one also had kind of lives in for me because it wrongfully made the video nasties list Um, and I believe it was one of the big ones one of the top 30 or so there were 36 that was persecuted or um, prosecuted Um, and then the next one it's in the first two it's video nasties list one or two it's not number three so the thing about um, Cannibal Man that's the name of the movie. If I hadn't said it yet, aka the Apartment on the Thirteenth Floor, and I'm sure it had a slew of other names. Um, Eloy Del Anglesia, obviously a very interesting director, openly homosexual director, openly communist director in then um, Spain at the time. So, like I said, it kind of talking about daughters of Eve. We can see this kind of repression in its own culture coming into its films for sure. Um, so, yeah. This is a really interesting movie. It, it follows uh, somebody that kind of falls into a serial murder, but kind of just to cover their own ass. Um, and in a lot of special features, there's somebody who is a friend with Eloy Del wrote a book on him, talks a little bit about his career, and especially Cannibal Man. And they mention that this guy they don't believe is in a traditional serial killer or anything. He's somebody who a, a dullard who committed a crime and is committing more crimes to cover that crime up. And I could see that, but he, he is the kind of serial killer. Like I said, this degenerate almost, but in a sense that he doesn't really enjoy the actions he's doing he's doing it to cover himself up because he's too dumb to realize how big of a hole he is digging so we have um this character who um may have some repression um they the um, sexual repression he has a relationship with this woman who's kind of from a higher class so eh, they never are meant to be in a lot of ways never a marriage or anything like that uh he works at a meat uh kind of butcher factory and everything like that where his mother actually died at so there's history there um and he just lives kind of in squalor. Next to him is this high-rise apartment that's been built where this like kind of a, you know, it seems like a trust fund kind of homosexual character shows an interest in spies on the local kids playing soccer shirtless and of course him. So they they eventually start a relationship, but what happens is one night um him and his fiance are out and about and this cab driver gives him a hard time and he's he's an asshole. But there's a mistaken murder on accident, and he decides to cover it up. And after that, he has to kill more and more people every day to cover these up. And it just gets completely out of hand. There's some similarities that I noticed to other real-life serial killers that came later, which I kind of thought kind of shocking. Uh, the first is Jeffrey Dahmer having the bodies and the decay in his apartment, in his, in his home, trying to cover it up with air fresheners and all that kind of stuff, and Dennis Nielsen. So as it gets strange that like this kind of stuff actually eventually did end up happening. So I like, kind of predicted it, but I mean... I guess it's just kind of logical sense on what a gross uh, person would do who's a murderer who didn't have any means to get rid of it. And then also the fact that there is some kind of obvious, not obvious, but the title would suggest that there's some sort of cannibalism going on. And that's not necessarily as um, prevalent as one would think by the title, but there is something in there involving him working at the factory and getting rid of remains, which bring up Willie Picton, a Canadian serial killer. So I felt that very interesting that those two little touches would later actually happen in history. But there's a lot of people on the planet and there's a lot of sick people, so it's bound to happen. Um, as far as the film is concerned, I think it's really well acted. I think it's uh, one of these great um, things in here that the killer is... Killing people like it just keeps getting worse and worse, and they they stumble into it, and he's got to kill them, and he's got to kill them, and it just gets completely out of hand. And there's a lot of interesting characters, including the lady who runs the kitchen, and he's he's really well acted and kind of a, a unique performance. Um, some repression in there. And then the special features—they mentioned that the two uh, male actors, the lead actors here, were also homosexual. On um, the one who plays the uh, the gay kind of rich guy, and him himself, uh, the I meant the lead guy. I meant, and of course the director. So there's that going on, and and uh, it, it makes sense where Eloy's coming from. And watching his other movies, this one I had seen before, and I always held it in high regard. I always thought it was kind of a gem of a horror film uh, that not many people talk about. But there is a lot more going on in there, too, mentioning, like, you know, obviously with his political beliefs, kind of scuffing at rich people, you know, being able to do kind of whatever they want. While, on the other hand, you know, he's kind of repressed in this kind of shitty kind of uh, poor system and whatnot. And, uh, yeah, anyways, uh, I, I really dig this film. There's a slew of special features on here. Um there's two cuts of the movie, the extended and the international. The extended is longer, of course, hence the title extended. Um, and I believe that the uh, extended one, is, it's nearly two hours. And Eloy's movies all run in close to two hours. Um, as far as Stephen Thrower's on here and uh, Dr. Uh, Ronan Leg on Eloy dell'Inglesia, that's always great to see those two. Well, especially Stephen is the one I'm mostly familiar with. And he always has a vested interest or a very good... Uh, things to say about a lot of these kind of um, underrated I would say directors Um, and then there's a sleazy and the strange interview with film scholar Carlos uh, Aguilar who was a friend of his and I found his very interesting as well and he talks a little bit about uh, uh, Eloy's life and where he ended up and all that kind of stuff so this is a great release as well looks great sounds great Um, it's a good movie I I think this is kind of one of these ones that I think would kind of pair up nicely with uh, The Frenchman's Farm which I talked about kind of these kind of serial killer films even though that one's based on your story but yeah um this one it has a little bit more than just your average serial killer thing going on it's good film for sure cannibal man okay this next one here is from the mvd rewind collection and this is the dark from 1979 this is directed by bud cardos jr who um, also did Kingdom of the Spiders, which I am a big fan of. That movie is a lot of fun, if nobody's ever seen it, starring William Shatner. Um, Bud Cardos is an interesting guy. He was a stuntman. He was a scout location manager. Um, Worked in the movie business for a very long time, and I still think Cardos is still alive. He might have recently passed. Um, But yeah, this one. uh, This was originally supposed to be directed by um, Toby Hooper. It did not obviously go out that way. It stars Richard Jekyll and William DeFane. Um, William DeFane from Rolling Thunder fame. I know there's some familiar other faces in here. Keenan Wynn. But really, um, geez, I feel like I'm missing one of the bigger names as well. <clears throat> So Richard Jekyll is um, one of these character actors, he's character actor uh, royalty to me, he pops up in the Dirty Dozen, and the Dirty Dozen kind of take the Devil's Brigade, he's also in some horror movies, uh, one by William Groffay, Mako Jaws of Death, which he's very good in, and a couple by William Girdler, um, which um, Day of the Animals and Grizzly. Uh, which were produced by Montaro, who was a sleazy movie producer that uh, had strange ends. Uh, Severin put out a lot of those movies, uh, Day of the Animals and Grizzly, and talk a little bit about Montaro. He also produced this movie. That's why I bring it up. And it does kind of have that little bit of feel. And the funny thing is, if I had to compare this to two movies, I would compare it to The Manitou, just for its batshit crazy kind of almost cosmic weirdness to it, especially at the end. And uh, The Night Strange, uh, Night Stalker, the film uh, by Dan Curtis, the TV film with uh, Darren McGavin, later turned into a TV series, also had a uh, sequel, The Night Strangler. So I feel like it's a lot like that. So we have this... this writer, William DeFane, his daughter is, recently, is murdered by this uh, weird kind of creature stalking the nights. Uh, the police officer on the case is Richard Jekyll and his partner, who's kind of a slop, constantly eating, lots of good gags and that. Um, really funny stuff between him and Richard Jekyll. And also, there's kind of a reporter looking into the case as well. So we have these three angles coming at this, trying to figure out what the hell's going on at night in the dark. Um so I, I put the reporter side because of course we have um, when Night Stalker it definitely has that kind of vibe with the reporter trying to figure everything out um, but it also adds the cops and I really like the cops in this movie It's <laughs> cops are very strangely portrayed especially nowadays it's, just, it's not the same kind of world how cops would be portrayed but um, they always used were kind of a unique kind of quality back here but I do like uh, a lot of the locals giving them a hard time like why well, are you going to figure this case out and Jekyll's kind of interactions with them is priceless and again his interactions with his partner are wonderful there's a lot of good one liners in here um i, I one I, I knew it to memory just a couple uh, right after i watched it, I, kept, I was repeating it and laughing really hard where he says uh, it's just a media trying to make us look stupid yeah i'm not gonna let them look make me look stupid and then literally touches jakel Jekyll, and jake like wiping food off his arm or something that his partner had on him um, but the killer is actually really weird and the score as well like the score has this weird kind of whispering underneath and it's just really creepy it's like man and like just like i said in the opening and closing would suggest some sort of weird cosmic horror, which was not the original intent bud cardo said they were planning on this having kind of being abused or a person who escaped from mental hospital, but something like that but the killer is just like this big juggernaut like i said it it, it kind of reminds me of like almost like the big kind of zombie in the midnight hours, just like kind of lumbering through but on top of that he also shoots laser beams out of his freaking eyes where I was just like is this happening is this what we're is this how we're going with it and it gets absolutely ridiculous the ending um has this huge kind of set piece where everybody's chasing after this monster and he's just throwing people with wire work through walls and everything like that and just blowing people up with laser beams and that's why it reminds me of the Manitou just because it's so fucking off the wall there is some downtime where there's a lot of talking and there's a weird Psychic Angle, which is kind of a staple in horror movies where there's like, well, we don't know where to take this. Deep Red has a psychic angle. Even Anthropophagus has a psychic angle. Psychic Angle was kind of a go-to. Um, Nothing Underneath has a psychic angle. These are just the ones that are popping on my head right off the top. Um, so Psychic Angle, it's just very, uh, the psychic, yeah. So it, it's just always in there. And it sometimes it, it feels a little bit shoehorned in. Um Uh, It does feel kind of strange here, and it just kind of gives the police to move the story along. It's like a catalyst to the story where the cops are catching on and everything like that. Um, There's a couple of cool murders in here, one where somebody's head gets completely ripped off. I had always heard this movie wasn't particularly great. I had tried to watch it years back, and I just got disinterested when I tried to watch the old Shriek Show DVD probably like 15 years ago, and it was nothing against a movie. You know, sometimes you get busy. And then Code Red put the uh, Blu-ray out, and I had that, and I didn't get a chance to watch it. But yeah, this is a really fun movie. Not as good as Kingdom of the Spider, I think that one's kind of a, a, a gem, to be honest. I, I love that movie. Um, but this one is good, and I enjoyed my time with it. There are some features on here as well, um, including a audio commentary featuring producer Ego Cantor and director Judd uh, John Bud Cardos. I don't think there was a junior on that. I kept calling him junior. Um, and then we have an interview with composer Roger Kellaway. He talks a little bit about all the scores he made, including Silent Scream. Interview with John, uh, John Bud Cardos, um, and I liked hearing that. He seems like a real cool down-to-earth guy. Talks about working with William DeFane and all that kind of stuff. Anyways, uh, enjoyable movie. He's uh, Great, great uh, release as well. Looked pretty good. Sounded good. Now, the only complaint about some of these MVD rewinds they're putting back out is, I'm wondering if um the sound uh on here is uh lpcm stereo now i'm wondering if the old code reds had a 5.1 mix or not i know that house on sorority row did but that's long out of print so i'm not sure if there's a comparison side by side which one sounds better but yeah this is the dark good stuff Okay, this next one here is um, Adrenaline Fear the Rush by uh, Albert Pune, who is kind of a cult icon, kind of a B-movie icon director. He did stuff like Nemesis, Omega Doom... I think I covered probably five or six more of his movies, Vicious Lips, um, Doll Man. So yeah, he, he has a good track record among kind of genre fans. He's really hit and miss for me. Like Vicious Lips, I think is unbearable, but I, lo- I, I like Dollman. Nemesis, this guy I got a soft spot for, but some of the sequels are a little bit blah. Um, as far as this one, Adrenaline, Fear the Rush, I had actually seen this movie years back. It stars on Tasha Hendridge and Christopher Lambert. Um, everybody knows Christopher Lambert, Highlander, Mortal Kombat, a slew of other movies. Natasha Hendridge is in Species, and everybody's favorite John Carpenter movie goes to Mars. I love Ghost of Mars. I know a lot of people don't like it. Hey, I, I'm a fan. Um, <laughs> so, Adrenaline, Fear the Rush. This is a strange film. Um, so, basically, what we have here is this kind of uh, experiment in this. The, the, the world seems to be in some sort of post apocalyptic landscape. I think all Albert Piant's movies are in some sort of strange dystopian world. So, um, there's this kind of boarded off community or basically bricked in uh, ghetto area where there's some sort of weird disease going on, or this person was a, kind of a scientific experiment run mock serial killer, and he's in the sewers and he's slashing and ripping apart everybody he comes in contact with. the very beginning he has this kind of fight with a bunch of people and he kills a slew of them and a bunch of cops and you're like, oh, this is going to be a crazy, entertaining exciting movie. But then after that, there's a group of special cops that are kind of dispatched through the sewer system and there's like three or four of them kind of going through there, one of which is Christopher Lambert, one of which is Natasha Hendricks Um, and they kind of are trying to survive. The editing is really strange and the sound effects are really strange. They kind of speed up and do these weird, like, I feel like they're zooms and cuts really fast to kind of make the impact of the shots hurt because the killer gets a gun at one point so it's like people getting shot and they're like ah and I do think that's kind of effective um, yeah, anyways, I think this is a decent action movie, it's not perfect, uh, it's more of an action sci-fi horror deal, um, the monster is creepy as hell looking, there's a couple images of him kind of like in the tunnels, like, eh, looking like a ghoulie monster thing, he doesn't look like a ghoulie, that's just me being an idiot, it looks creepy with the sharp jagged teeth, and, and that, I thought that stuff worked well, um, Christopher Lambert is solid, Natasha Hendrick, I like them, they, they don't really get that much to do, you know, they kind of just do the action kind of deal, um, the, the, the kill count is really high in the beginning, but it kind of slows down. I like the location. Um, yeah, so I, I there's a couple movies this reminds me of. I, I want to say like Split Second, but um, it's a little bit different than that. Probably not as sci-fi as Split Second. And there's another one that is slipping my mind. The remake of Breeders kind of reminds me of this too. I feel like there's a lot of subterranean stuff going on there. And I think Ronin Flicks or Dark Sky put that one out. Dark, Dark Force. Dark Force put that one out. Um, the 90s Breeders. So um, anyways, I thought this film was decent. It's not horrible. It, it's, a, it's a decent one, especially from Albert Pune, because Pune always has like a lack of budget and he, he makes, makes stuff work and he does a really good job with a budget. I guarantee this guy's working with peanuts. And it always feels like it always does feel like he doesn't get enough footage. Like they're like he's like halfway through the film and over like, you got one more day. He's like, I need 10 more days. And they're like, you got one. And he's like, well fuck me, right? But um, what he turns out I think are, are good. And I think that I would like to hear um, some commentary on this movie by him. That the disc is bare bones, but it looks and sounds good good. And all overall, if you like this one, it's worth a pickup. It's an entertaining movie. It's entertaining enough. Um, I know uh, Resurrection with Christopher Lambert got announced by uh, Vinegar Syndrome, which kind of excites me. I don't, I'm not sure if I've ever seen that one. I think that one's kind of a crazy serial killer movie as well. Uh, Lambert did a lot of cool sci-fi movies. If nobody's ever seen uh, one of my favorite Stuart Gordon movies, Fortress with Christopher Lambert, that's a great one. Really recommend that one. I think that one's kind of a Stuart Gordon's best movie that nobody talks about. And I know they talk about it, but every time you hear Stuart Gordon, you hear two movies from beyond and reanimator you don't hear about dolls you don't hear about fortress you hear a little bit about them but let's hear a little bit more about them i know i'm going off on a tirade about christopher lambert movie and then went to Stuart gordon i get it but uh adrenaline fear the rush good flick check it out not perfect just a kind of a little bit b movie sci-fi actioneer that i think you know, will be kind of enjoyable for you okay this next one here is a rewatch, and i have not watched this movie in quite some time this is from 2015 february aka black coat's daughter by osgood perkins if you guys aren't familiar with Osgood Perkins, he is the son of legendary actor Anthony Perkins. He also directed two more f- uh, features, "All the I Am the Pretty Thing That Lives in the House, which is a Netflix uh, exclusive, and uh, Hansel and Gretel, or Gretel and Hansel, which came out a couple years back. All, all, three, all three of his films are definitely worth watching. They all have a great visual look. Some people call some of them artsy-fartsy, a little too slow for them. But I personally think that his best film, his Black Coat's Daughter, I think that all his films get... Um, it's, it, not that they're getting worse. I, I prefer Black Coats, I'm the Pretty Thing, than uh, Gretel and Hansel in that order. So, uh, Black Coats, I remember seeing this on a screener, and I was pretty much blown away by it. I was very surprised at... Um, you know, just entirely the, the whole film, the structure of it is really what kind of got me the way it's unfolds. It gets you to kind of, uh, be a little slightly confused, but everything seems connected. So you're not really lost, but you think there's possibly two kind of storylines going on in the same time timeline, um, in the same time. And it kind of flips it on its head without spoiling too much. This follows the story of, um, what seems to be a hitchhiking girl that's, uh, is really kind of down on her luck. And it's played by Emma Roberts, uh, I love. I think Emma Roberts is really great in everything I've seen her in. This and uh, she was in what was that Scream Queens. I thought she was really fun. I think she's got a really mean look to her. I think it's just kind of a unique, great look. Daughter of Julia Roberts, you could kind of tell. Anyways, I, I really think she's great. So uh, she's kind of hitchhiking in the freezing weather. She gets picked up by a old couple, um, older couple. One in James Remar, um, also played Raiden. I just mentioned Mortal Kombat in the last movie. Um, so he, uh, him, and his wife, and, and they just seem really kind of like they're going through some things and as they drive um, and you start to discuss things you learn more about them without spoiling too much and we also have another kind of storyline going on with these two young girls that there's going to have this big break this kind of school break and everybody's waiting for their parents to go and one starts to kind of uh, hallucinate strange things you think possibly and just kind of go through some stuff and two of the girls are left behind because their parents never showed up and we have like some teachers standing behind with them and it gets darker and darker and there's this ominous presence throughout the entire on both of them and when they both finally come together and you realize what the hell is happening you're like oh shit it is way too late to stop this the wheels are in motion and it becomes kind of one of the strangest uh, possession films I've ever seen and and, dare I say it, the second best possession film after The Exorcist, because it's handled in such a different way. Um, and there's such a, a thing about loneliness in here um, that I think is top-notch. Uh, the acting by everybody is great. There's some really iconic uh, scenes in here and imagery that just is, is embedded in your head. Um, somebody on their knees uh, staring at a burning, burning furnace um, with three heads sitting next to them, decapitated, um, lied out next to them in some sort of weird ritual i think that that visual is just one of the most brutal and um iconic images uh from modern horror i i think it's a great great scene honestly and you can feel the cold in this movie they really bitterly cold and i love that i i really do i'm um, acting top notch music top notch uh It leaves it open, not necessarily open. I think that there's kind of a way to interpret it. I wouldn't even say it's that open. But uh, it leaves you kind of thinking a little differently than you would on your typical horror movie. I just thought this was great stuff. And um, very dark, from a very dark mind, I would say. Um, Something kind of special. I don't think many people could make something like this or or have that good of a story structure just kind of a kind of a perfect horror film to be honest i know it probably divides the audience as all new movies do because a lot of people do not like new horror films (laughs) no so it's just the way it is um only history will tell and i think this is going to be one that goes down in history as uh, a beloved uh as a a great horror film in 20 years people will be like oh black Cold stutter that's a great fucking movie uh so yeah Okay, another rewatch. I'll be kind of brief with this one. Um, This is uh, from 2019, and this is Ari Aster's *Midsummer*. And uh, I know this divides the audience big time, just talking about dividing the audience here. So I, I asked this week who's at what everybody's favorite full core movies are, and there were some people that mentioned that they love Midsummer. Half the audience is Midsummer, love it, and then there's a couple of people just bad mouthing it because other people like it. All right, so let me say this right now: um, Ari Aster. I'm going to be very brief with this because I talked about this movie right when it came out, but revisiting things, these kind of movies like this kind of change things. Ari Aster handles grief and loss unlike any other director. There's times in this movie what puts me in places that I don't want to be that remind me of things that happened to me in a time in my life when I just don't want to really be there, okay? So saying that, um, this is visually one of the most beautiful movies. It's a horror film that takes place uh, predominantly through the day which is a rarity. Um, Visually, it looks great. Yes, yes, yes. There are similarities to the beloved Wicker Man. But is it a ripoff of Wicker Man? Come on, guys. If we're going to start getting that, when people don't like something, if you don't like it, that's fine. You have reasons for not liking it. Maybe you think it's too slow. Maybe you think that I don't like that. It kind of, it it takes forever to get the story or this character's motivations I don't buy. Whatever, that's fine. But just saying something is a blatant ripoff and not liking it for that reason and then turning around. And I know you guys will say something, the same people that say Midsommar is a ripoff off of Wicker Man and it's it's junk are the same people that'll turn around and buy 30 copies of Cruel Jaws by Bruno Mattei and sit there and praise it Okay, I get it. I love Bruno Matei, too. He's a rip-off artist, but there's so many filmmakers out there inspired, and yes, they may lift here and there, but almost everybody did it. Everybody right now is a, is ripping off Alfred Hitchcock. Every single person make, making a thriller or a suspense a mystery is ripping off Alfred Hitchcock. Or everybody before that is ripping off Poe when they're making horror, or Lovecraft, or or you know. It just is what it is. I know that there are similarities between Midsommar and Wicker Man. There are some musical numbers, but maybe that's because there's probably a lot of musical numbers and rituals and pagan kind of of religions. Hmm, maybe those are the only two that kind of handled it. And when people mention this, and they bring this kind of stuff up, and they're like, it's a ripoff of Wicker Man. I really feel like telling them this. You mean w- Wicker Man? I don't know what that is. You mean the rip-off of The Witches? The Hammer movie? Or maybe Robin Redbreast? Or maybe Crowhaven Farm? That r- the, mo- the, rip- the movie that ripped all those movies off? That idea of going to this this place where there's these people that have their own religious beliefs, and they're going to use you for something that you don't want to be used for in some sort of sacrificial way. A ritual way. I mean, it's not new. It's not, Wicker Man didn't invent it. Just because Midsommar and Wicker Man both share the ending, that is very kind of a knockout ending, and they have musical numbers. That's the only thing that is that different. I mean, I, that that is different enough to be considered similar. Because the plot of going somewhere and finding an isolated village with people that have different beliefs than you is a whore tale that is timeless. It is. It really is. So, um, I think Midsommar is great. I think it's fantastic. I think the acting is wonderful. I think the relationships between the two characters obviously having their problems are wonderful. I think what she's going through um, and how she reacts to what people say to her um, while she's kind of grieving is really kind of uh, messed up. And I think it's true. I think it's genuinely true how you feel in that kind of way. Even when somebody brings something up, sometimes it's just too fresh and it cuts you like a knife every time. I love that. I think her performance is great. I love her in this movie. Okay? I. I think that there is a good amount of comedy in here too, especially with the uh, kind of uh, the ritual with the period and uh, uh, period blood in the drink and the, um, the pubic hair in the meat pie. I think that's beautiful. Um, the uh, kind of idiot friend who's just kind of an oaf and screwing up the entire time. He, he's pretty funny in it, to be honest, a lot of his comments and his interactions with people just because he's completely oblivious. Um, I, I know that some people complain that right when they figured something was out, they would have got the hell out of there or they would have tried and the arguments and everything. And I can see that that that's uh, my friend Moods does not love this movie because he says right when uh, shit went south after the uh, the British couple wanted to leave, he's like, there's something off. it. I think that they would have followed through differently. And I don't necessarily disagree or agree strongly either way with that. I can see people kind of being stuck in a situation and kind of trying to go with it before they because they don't want to realize that something bad's happening. But that's that's kind of a reason to. It's nitpicking somewhat, but also if you're just gonna you don't care for a movie and you're looking for you're like well this is one reason why not it's a rip off of wicker man and wicker man was first i think wicker man's fucking fantastic don't get me wrong i think midsummer is fantastic two movies can be fantastic two movies can share similarities and possibly got inspiration or lifted a little bit here and there okay um it's just so much like there's just so many things that came before what you love that that movie got inspiration from if, if they were to read it in a book is it any different is it any fucking different I'm sorry. I'm saying that I'm more kind of ranting about other things. Anyways, Midsummer is a freaking classic to me. Now it, it, it's gonna go down in history. Again, like I said, Blackout Stutter. I think it's one of these ones that's gonna be an important film in 25 years. That's just how I feel. I think it's great. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. It doesn't matter. History will tell. <laughs> you guys don't have to listen to me, anyways. It's just my opinion. But I just also kind of get annoyed by people's. I don't. I think it's small mindedness, to be honest. Um, because anybody that's watched a lot of horror movies understands that um people have been ripping off each other forever and and more people I would even if you call midsummer a rip off the wicker man I'd like more people to rip off the wicker man because you know what we don't have enough of those kind of horror movies being made today it's better than um a, a generic ghost story or generic found footage movie not that those genres don't have great movies made but i'd rather see something a little different i like this kind of story i like these weird superstitious places that these fall follow these rituals that are completely different okay um anyways love the movie love wicker man you can like both of them just because one might have got something from it doesn't mean it's a ripoff or doesn't mean that it's just a remake okay whatever nonsense okay Okay, this next one here is another rewatch. Be very brief with this one. And this is The Lighthouse by Robert Eggers. Uh, yeah, The Lighthouse. <laughs> this is another kind of one of these artsy fartsy horror films that a lot of people would call. And honestly, some people might not even call this one a horror movie. Sorry, guys. Sometimes your boy needs a drink of coffee here. Like you guys are hearing me talk at a mile a minute. You like you don't need any more coffee, Dave. Relax. Also a cool mug, right? Us uh, Sam, Sam for the win. So uh, Lighthouse starring Rob, geez, Willem Dafoe and Robert Padsen. That's pretty much all the actors in the movie. And essentially this is basically uh, these two guys are there to um, watch a lighthouse. Robert Padsen's kind of the, the, the new guy. He was a, a, l- a lumber guy. And uh, Willem Dafoe is kind of the hardened uh, guy who's been doing this a while. Right away, um, they decide that they're going to split shifts. And right off the bat, William Dafoe treats him like crap. He's very kind of rugged. And also, this is the first time watching this rewatch, I looked at Robert Patson and I kind of got that Jack Nicholson Shining vibe where I was like, this dude's fucked. This dude is fucked up right away. I mean, William Dafoe is eccentric and weird and just kind of annoying and kind of a dick. But Robert Patson, I was just like, oh, this dude is not right. Right off the bat, because originally I was kind of thinking, because when you first watch this movie, you're like, I don't know. They both seem off. They both seem kind of on the edge, but for good reason and everything. But then later, uh, like watching this is like, Robert Patson's not right. As it progresses, things get crazier and crazier until they both realize that they're isolated here because of a big storm. There starts to be lapses in time. There starts to be uh, arguments on what happened, even after we see what happened. Uh, Maybe that's uh, reality is kind of shifting. Um, there's this beautiful horn that the, for the lighthouse that shoots out this, uh, this loud noise, which is just nerve wracking nonstop. Uh, there's all these kind of weird, like, uh, you know, kind of superstitious things that Willem Dafoe has about, you know, the seagulls being dead sailors. You shouldn't mess with them. And of course. Rob Pattinson's messing with the new sailor. There's also these weird kind of darkly comedic beats, which Robert Eggers, I would imagine and hearing other people talk about this kind of was like devoid of humor in the witch, and everybody's like, Oh, this guy's so pretentious. So he's literally making Willem Defoe fart. And even has Robert Pattinson, bring that up in a in a rage when he's like, I'm tired of your fucking fox. And it's just like, well, you know, that's just um outwardly kind of goofy for this kind of movie, but in this situation it doesn't seem very funny, even though it's kind of funny. Um it's shot beautifully. The is great. It's in four by three, which is kind of crazy. Maybe to kind of get that isolate. I mean, that isolated kind of claustrophobic feel. I don't know. Um, Anyways, it's a beautiful looking movie. I love the location. The last shot is super iconic and disturbing. And William Defoe is great. There's lots of crazy things going on. People bring up Greek kind of um, mythology. And also, it's also a story about insanity. And just all sorts of crazy things and everything. And, and uh, almost like loneliness. And it just, it's nuts. And uh, possible some, some curses and superstition. And it's just a really interesting kind of wacky, crazy movie. Um, beautifully shot. Uh, just like I can't mention that enough, the sound design is good. It's just a really well-made professional movie. I don't think this is for everybody. This is definitely an art movie. This is not gonna be everybody's cup of tea. But the performances are are wonderful. I don't think anybody can deny that the two performances in here are, are top-notch. And there's some Lovecraftian shit going on too. Uh yeah, I like when Patson goes completely nuts. And he, he in the beginning he finds this kind of this weird like uh, I got emblem the st- statue cre- of a mermaid and it becomes kind of something that he i don't want to even say worships but he definitely kind of lost after it because it's the only thing there but at one point he breaks it and he's like i broke your damn charm i broke your damn charm you have no hold over me it's just like and one of the posts is like Oh man! Um, oh geez! Like it, it's just a great film. Really recommend it. Uh, at one point, Willem Dafoe, I think they're drinking fucking lantern fluid or something or gasoline, and they're mixing it with honey to make sweeten it up. And when Willem Dafoe drinks on this, she's like just does this thing. anyways. great great performances. And I'm, I'm a big performance guy. So, you know, that carries the movie a long way for me. And I also like kind of just people losing their minds because every one of us is really close to just snapping, I imagine. So anyways, The Lighthouse really liked it. Good stuff. Uh, second watch. Okay, this next one here is by Mike Flanagan. Uh, this is from what? 2014 uh, was a release in the United States. This is Oculus. Mike Flanagan, obviously, uh, directed Absentia. Before this, he would go on to direct stuff like Doctor Sleep, uh, Ouija 2, Hush, Um, he's a beloved director. He kind of just, uh, upped his game and became one of the bigger players in, you know, um, the horror genre in the last decade or so. He also did, what was the one I'm missing? Gerald's game, which I think is really good. Um, I think Dr. Sleep is probably his best movie along with Gerald's game. Those two are more my, on my kind of level, you know, style. They're both Stephen King stories as well. Oculus here. Oculus is an interesting movie. I, I, this is a rewatch and I have not watched it in a long time. I don't love ghost stories, modern ghost stories, but I do love mere horror movies. Mirror horror movies, I think, are, are top-notch, and I do love a ghost story if it's really well done. I'm more in the line with kind of like the um, fantastical fantasy storytelling ghost stories like Devil's Backbone and that kind of thing, or foreign ghost stories I, I get more into, or old ones like The Changeling. That's that's my kind of my jam, that kind of thing. I'm never big, big into a lot of the more modern ghost stories. This one has a lot of cool elements, though. Um, it's about an hour and 45 minutes. I really think this would be better if they shaved about 15 minutes on there, although it doesn't really seem to, there's a lot of story going on. So structurally, this is a really well-constructed script, honestly. So we have a brother who's been released from a mental hospital because something tragic happened with them, and there was obviously some insanity between him and his sister. He moves back um, to kind of see his sister, and it all stems from this mirror. This mirror, I guess, uh, they believed kind of haunted their family and was a haunted mirror and caused their father and mother to kind of lose their mind. So basically he believes that it was all bullshit and that they were crazy. And their father was a violent person. Um, at the sister never having that kind of treatment, she believes that the mirror is still haunted. So she kind of confronts the brother and says, we need to stop this mirror. We made a promise, you know, the, they made an it promise, right? If it comes back, we'll stop it. Um, so they basically kind of start discussing it. And, uh, they, she sets up this kind of scientific approach to stop this damn thing. She has cameras. She realizes that there's timers, so they know when to eat. So the brother eventually agrees to this. Um, kind of against it and they decide to try to camp out over the night and stop this mirror um, she's kind of lost it she's definitely gone off the deep end she's bringing a dog to sacrifice there's plants around the house to see if they die from the mirrors evil kind of pull she starts going into the history of the mirror which is probably one of the more interesting things about all these people's encounter with the mirror and them dying and whatnot that stuff's really cool um, and then we kind of jump back the timelines back and forth of them as kids and we see the uh, story that happened in the past unfold as we're seeing the story happen in the present unfold and you are kind of getting this kind of history repeat itself kind of steal kind of uh done thing but the editing is perfect because there'll be a character that fall and that kind of stuff just really clever transitions and everything like that um it's a wwe produced movie which is kind of crazy and Bloomhouse, um it does have kind of a weird sheen to it that i think is just a little against it i think it has a like a kind of a Uh, Hollywood sheen, and that normally isn't something negative for me. I just don't, maybe a cheap Hollywood sheen, I would say to it. And I don't particularly care for how it looks necessarily. Um, The acting is is decent enough. I think the mother and father are are the better two of the acting, to be honest, um, in the film. But uh, no real complaints, and I think the ending, it starts you start to get a glimpse at some really dark stuff about characters coming out of the mirror, but um, they don't really explore that until the very end. All in all, I think it's a solid ghost story, a very well-made movie by Mike Flanagan. Um, just uh, when it comes to Mike Flanagan, I prefer Gerald's Game, but I really prefer Doctor Sleep. That's more my stuff. So yeah, uh, Oculus, I know a lot of people have seen it. I know it's beloved, but yeah. Okay, we're gonna start those 1970 watches. Though sometimes beaten back, he came again and again against the enemy, till at the end he came alone from the bloody field, for he alone could triumph. This was a Dracula deed. In 1970, President Nixon ordered American troops into Cambodia. He called it an incursion, not an invasion. But it lasted for
1: two months purpose was to destroy enemy bases and supply lines. At times, that mission was extremely dangerous. Marcus Welby, MD, and the Dick Cabot Show will not be seen tonight, so that we may bring you live cover coverage of the 42nd Annual Awards of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. Jimi Hendrix experience is over. The acid rock musician died today in a London hospital, apparently from an overdose of drugs. Headquarters in Washington, I'm Howard K. Smith. I'm Harry Reisner in New York. These are tonight's headlines. Rail service across the nation is crippled by the continuing strike of the Railway Church Union. President Nixon meets with newsmen in his first nationally televised news conference since late July. Defense consul says that Lieutenant Calley had orders from higher up to kill every living thing. He lied. Secretary of
0: State Rogers pledges that American troops will not be sent back into Cambodia. Hours. Reports denied on the rail strike from Gregory. And after she let the
1: devil fornicate with her, making the men impotent.
0: All right, this first 1970 watch, I'm going to be very brief with it. It is your hands, my body. Uh, yeah, and this is more in line with kind of the Italian kind of drama thrillers, less horror. I would put it kind of in the vein of what somebody would say, Fist in My Pocket, which I reviewed a while back, which is a really good movie. And also from 1970, uh, Kill the Fatted Calf and Roast It, which is a much better movie than this as well. Um, so this one essentially follows this kind of, a. Uh, spoiled brat rich kid who has this weird infatuation with his stepmother, um, that is like married to his father and he's just an artiste. He doesn't really, I don't mean it like as a feminine artist. I mean, as a artist, like he's just douchebaggery, right? Complete douchebaggery in that kind of way. Um, he's absolutely, um, pretentious, miserable, perverted, little incel. I mean, he's kind of an incel, I guess is what the term would be nowadays. Right. um, And I don't need to like a character to want to watch them. I think that the movie Kill the Ill-Fatted Calf and Roast It is a much better example of this. I mean, this character who possibly has mental illness from a long line of mental illness, kind of going through and exploring some possible murder mystery within his family. Just so so much, that's a good movie. That's an interesting movie with a beautiful score. This one, probably the best thing about it is it's Italian, so it probably got a great score. I don't remember the score off the top of my head. This is the first movie I watched this week. I just remember being kind of bored with the damn thing and just wanting it to be over because it's not really a horror film. It's not really barely a thriller, like I said, and that doesn't mean it's a bad movie. That's you know, but it's more of this family drama-oriented thing, following this character just kind of try to, I guess, find himself. But he's just a miserable, perverted monster, and he starts to focus on this this young woman that he kind of likes, and she eventually falls for him, and then it ends in tragedy because he's an animal. He's a monster. Um, it does end in a really kind of brutal way, and I like I like the visual at the ending. And it stems in from early childhood, kind of that repression and that psychological shit that happened to him early on. He has this weird complex with his mother. Obviously, he wanted to bone his mother, and she died tragically. And that's kind of repeating itself at the very end. And that's that stuff is interesting. It's just that it doesn't really go very far. And I just I mean, it just really kind of. I mean, maybe at the time in 1970, you're like, wow, this is very impactful and very unique, but watching it now, it just is really kind of slow and tedious to get through. This is one of my least favorite movies from 1970, not necessarily a bad movie, just not particularly interesting to me when we have a lot of other kind of dark family dramas going on about repressed people at the time, just done much better. So um, Your Body, My Hands, uh, not not really my thing, sorry. Okay, this next one from 1970 is Whirlpool. Another watch, rewatch, this is like the week of rewatches by Jose Laraz, who did a bunch of movies, uh, including the three in this box set, one of which is Whirlpool. He did Vampires and The Coming of Sin. He also did Symptoms, which is a totally underrated movie. He did Rest in Pieces. He did, I always confuse if he did Edge of the Axe, if that's a one. Wan- Piquet Simon movie or a Jose Larras movie. I think it's a Jose Larras movie because he also did Cthulhu Mansion. So what we have here is, let me pull this bad boy out. I hate these little things on the bottom here. I like them, but I hate pulling them off. So Whirlpool is um, from 1970. And the reason I wanted to revisit this bad boy in this in this set here is uh, because I feel like it has this dark nihilistic view that would be carried out throughout the 70s. And all the commentaries and, and interviews on this disc say just the same. When I initially watched it, I watched all those Tim Lucas and stuff. So um, I feel like it's kind of one of these maybe not the best movie of 1970 or best horror or thriller of 1970, but one of the more important ones. And one of those ones that is definitely this like early glimpse into what the hell we were going to get when it came to stuff like last house and the laugh and Texas Jane cell massacre and that nihilistic view, even though we had night of the living dead from 68. So this story follows that of a uh, amateur photographer, kind of an incel character, like kind of similar to the movie, uh, your hands, my body, just much more interestingly done. And he kind of lives with this older, uh, kind of a female character who uh, kind of preys upon younger women and they kind of seduce them and use them for their sexual exploits so this character uh, this young uh, character in um, what is his name Toby they all start with T's which is a very strange move. almost everybody starts with T in this movie Tulia and Toby and uh, Theo or whatever his name is I think it's Theo so uh, he essentially is uh, a, a weird character where he wanders the kind of the woods and the woods in this and the pond and everything it's it's like an all I believe it's the same one in Symptoms it looks like the same one used in some Hammer films um, it looks very very British if that makes any sense in a lot of these kind of 60s and 70s kind of horror thriller movies so um he's also much more interesting character than a lot of the other characters from the 70, 1970 that are like this, if that makes any sense. So it kind of carries the movie and the photography angle adds that element of maybe like the peeping Tom voyeurism stuff, which I like. So anyways, uh, there's a new girl that comes in and, um, that they kind of bring into it, Rhonda. And immediately they kind of have her in this game of strip poker and they're taking advantage of her. And as it goes on, uh, you kind of learn more that there was a girl that was before them. Maybe, maybe her, no, her name was Rhonda, the girl before her. her name is Tula, Tula, whatever i'm sorry with names but anyways you start to kind of find out that something weird happened to ronda something kind of tragic and in the very beginning right away he's like going through the woods and paddling in the boat and he he finds a boat a boot at the end of the the pond so you're like oh that's that's just kind of an ominous thing to find at the pond in there that's why it's very similar to uh jose la rosa's movie symptoms which i think is, is probably his best movie i think it's kind of a masterpiece actually for for him i think it's a great film so He finds that boot, and like so, so you know there's something up, and also turns into a semi-kind of possible haunting movie where um, the the young girl is starting to kind of hallucinate, possibly Rhonda, and then somebody comes looking for Rhonda, which complicates the situation. Um, And there's a lot of sexy stuff going on for 1970, um, some lesbianism, which seems to be a staple in Jose La Raza's movies, um, and strange menage a trois, and uh, some sexual dysfunction with this character seeming to be a sexual sadist or or maybe just a sexual sadist voyeur, or something along those lines. But there's some really kind of dark stuff in here. Um, a really awful kind of uh, prank. And not, I don't even want to call it a prank. That's completely uh, mis mis <laughs> interpretation of the scene. It's a sexual assault, um, but he's playing it as a prank where he has his friend kind of assault, like kind of sexual battery her and takes pictures and everything. And after that, he's like, "All right, well, let's go." And you're just like, what the hell? But like throughout the movie, you have these constant hints uh, that like uh, there's kind of uh, like a, a village idiot that they contact with, and he's just really un- unnerved around him. And that all plays into the end and the final kind of reveal, which is told through pictures and has a beautiful black and white flashback, a very stark kind of dark one. And the ending is straight something out of a Last House on the Left kind of deal, which was made two years later. And the tagline on this movie is wonderful. She died with her boots on and not 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 much, not much else. You're just like, oh shit. Like, that's such a Last House on the Left kind of line. I don't know if the promotional stuff came out after Last House on the Left, but um, it just really feels very kind of nihilistic 70s. Anyways, this is a good movie. If you guys are interested, this actual release has a uh, commentary by Tim Lucas, um, Obsessive Reoccurrence, uh, early films of Jose Raz by Kim Newman, um, and then we have some stuff like a Curious Casting, Actor Larry Dan and the Strange Story Behind His Casting Whirlpool, Deviations of Whirlpool, at Comparing the Difference Between the US Theatrical Cut and the Previously Circulated, Alternate cut of the film and then we have Vivian Nives um uh, Neves interviewed by Michael Parkinson on BBC's Parkinson originally broadcast in UK in July, 1972 and an extract from archival interview with Jose Luraz. So anyways, uh, Jose Laz, I wanted to make sure I watched his movie from 1970 because he's kind of a director that would go on to do some kind of some bigger cult titles like vampires and symptoms. And he, he had a, um, good reputation. I mean, among some kind of hardcore, uh, horror fans, like, uh, our experts kind of like cat Ellinger and Sam Deacon. And I appreciate his movies too. I know a lot of people do. And I think this is a good one. Um, one of the hidden gems of 1970, I would say, and it's got that kind of dark, ominous, kind of nihilistic shit that uh, would be so prevalent in 1970 cinema. Another rewatch for 1970 here, and this is part of the American Horror Project, and this is Dream No Evil by, uh, is it John Hayes? I believe it is John Hayes. Uh, John Hayes would do a movie I'm most familiar with. He did Grave of the Vampire, but I know him from Garden of the Dead, which was a childhood favorite of mine, believe it or not. Love zombies, so I rent all the zombie movies. There was this cheap prison zombie outing called Garden of the Dead. I watched it uh, a dozen times as a kid. I, I always enjoyed it, so dream no evil. Um, I remember when this horror uh, American horror project Volume Two, I believe it was in came out, and this one kind of surprised me. Um, it's a strange, strange movie. And I know that they have uh, Cat Ellinger. Is Cat Ellinger and Sam Deacon on here? On the commentary, I know Cat Ellinger's part of it. And I remember listening, watching all the features, being kind of interested, very much interested in uh, John Hayes and his story. And this movie in particular, it stars um, notable kind of actors, uh, Edmund O'Brien from the legendary um, Wild Bunch, and the man who shot Liberty Valance, among other movies. Um, it also stars, um, geez, Michael Pataki, who is kind of a character actor and in a bunch of TV and stuff like that. Mark Lawrence, who I know from Pigs, which this shares a lot of similarities to Pigs. I think this and Pigs would be a great double feature, kind of like that, uh psychological horror films about uh female characters who are just uh sad but violent and dangerous but also tragic. So I think Pigs is an underrated movie. I think it's really cool. And um I I really enjoy this one. So the strange this is a very strange picture. Um Has a weird narration, which I don't know if I like um, throughout the entire film because it plays dumb to the audience where, like, you feel like you know exactly what's going on, um, but then it tells you every single detail, like... Yes, she was completely crazy, and none of this. And you're just like, come on, just let it play. I think it would be so much better without that stuff popping up in the middle to remind you what exactly is happening, because they feel like this is probably a drive-in movie, and everybody's half asleep or screwing during it, and they they need that reminder. But uh, so we had this young girl in the very beginning too. It's kind of this dark thing. This movie also reminds me of Toys Are Not for Children, which is another kind of underrated kind of psychological horror film involving a female uh, character who's kind of uh, just really kind of sad and uh, dangerous. Um, which I, I love those movies. I like them with male ones too like killer of dolls dig that kind of stuff these psycho riffs so in the very beginning she's in this orphanage and she's crying this character, this young girl's crying for her father and the nun or whoever it is it says your father's dead he's not coming she's like my father's not dead so we kind of see her she's adopted eventually she goes to live with I believe with this religious kind of group um, and it says that the religious group kind of became this weird kind of weird almost circus kind of weird you know kind of those southern religions where they like snake charmer thing but not necessarily that. And it's Michael Bataki. He's a strange faith healer. And uh, this this uh, this woman is there, and she performs in a circus act to get the crowd. And. Um, uh, Michael Pataki's brother is engaged to her but he's off like learning to be a doctor so they're kind of isolated and separated we have this weird kind of southern weird uh, faith healing stuff going on Pataki is great in it he's like talking to the crowd and screaming and she's really good too she's really kind of innocent but also just uh, strange and she's always every town they go to she's always looking for her father she's always looking for her father she leaves that kind of faith out that he's there he's out there and uh, one day she comes in contact, she goes to this old folks home that's nearby, and she says, do you know this man? And nobody knows her. Mark Lawrence comes in in this really strange, darkly comedic kind of, question mark, uh, group of, uh, he has these older prostitutes that he's going to basically sell to these older men. And Mark Lawrence is kind of like this old school kind of gangster kind of talking guy. And he's like, what are you doing here, lady? And then he's like, hey, my father, do you know him? And she's like, I did know him. Unfortunately, he just died. And we were friends, so I'm going to perform the autopsy on him for free. I'm also the Undertaker. And you're like, Undertaker pimp? Weird. Um, so that what follows is she goes to uh, look at the body, and it's Edmund O'Brien. And he's not dead, question mark. And he comes to life and starts to attack uh, Mark Lawrence. Uh, The narration kind of spoils everything. I mean, they could play this a little bit more, kind of is it in their head or not. But what happens is we get this strange thing of uh, Edmund O'Brien and his daughter kind of having this relationship. And there's this beautiful scene where there's this dance session with Michael Pataki there. And it's just such a weird, uh, crazy scene. And uh, it's just I love the relationship that she forms with her father. Even though it's dark and twisted and, and it's all kind of fucked to be honest. But of course, the uh, fiancé comes in the situation, and he's kind of found somebody else, and, and which which shows you, like, the real stars and the real characters I like in this movie are Edmund O'Brien and the lead actress and Michael Pataki and Mark Lawrence. They're so much more interesting than we have those characters on the side who's like, I'm your typical good-doer kind of vanilla, milk-toast guy, and here's this new girl I'm interested in. It's like a lot of that stuff, it's like, if we cut that, this would be a better movie. I don't know how you do it, uh, but it just makes her uh, situation even more tragic, to be honest. Anyways, I like the film quite a bit. Um, It is a psycho riff it's enjoyable and weird and kooky and I like the southern kind of feel to it anyways dream no evil uh, good stuff I like the music too music sticks in your head it's got some nice features on here like I mentioned we have a uh, brand new audio commentary with Cat Ellinger and Sam Deacon uh, Melancholy Dreamer a newly filmed video appreciated dream no evil by actor our uh, author Stephen Thrower Hollywood After Dark the early films of John Hayes 1959 and 1971 brand new video essay by Stephen Thrower looking at director John Hayes's filmography leading up to dream no evil Edmund O'Brien, an actor for all seasons, writer Chris uh, Pelagi on the uh, prodigious career of celebrated character actor Edmund O'Brien, archival audio interview with actress Ruth Rue McCallum, the Golden Girls, discussing her many cinematic collaborations with the director John Hayes, reversible sleeve featuring original and newly commissioned artwork by the Twins of Evil, Um, another cool movie. So anyways, uh, Dream No Evil. Much better than its reputation. You look at Letterboxd and it just doesn't have the the, the rating I think it deserves. I think it's an interesting, cool movie. Uh, totally up my alley. I like these psychological horror films, and whatnot. Okay, this next one from 1970. Is uh, Ritual of Evil. Now this is a double feature on this disc. I did not get a chance to watch Fear No Evil. I will watch it next week. It's from 1969. This is Ritual of Evil. This is a pair of TV movies, both starring uh, Louis Jourdain, who is from us, from us, uh, kind of genre fans. He's in Swamp Thing as Dr. Arcane, um, and the Return to Swamp Thing. So he stars in these movies, and he's kind of this, uh, this like kind of a psychol, the psychiatrist who's obsessed with the occult. And he kind of solves crimes, and originally Fear No Evil was like a pirate, py- made for that and it was going to be a TV series but they didn't get that but they got a sequel Ritual of Evil which was made in 1970 Um, and I'll probably be fairly brief with this movie Um, I got to give it up to Kino for remastering these movies wonderfully Ritual of Evil looks so good it looked amazing um and the cinematography in this movie, I'm like, are you sure this is a TV movie? Cause fairly, uh, quick in the beginning of the movie, we have this wonderful shot of, uh, kind of wandering out to the backyard and looking on the outset and seeing like the beautiful ocean. And we pull back and we go farther back. And pretty soon we're like on the other side of like this giant, this ocean coast. And it's just, it's a wonderful shot. Uh, the tracking shots are good in this. I was just like, the cinematography in this movie is so much better than a TV movie from 1970. I w I wouldn't expect it. I really wouldn't. It, it really looks great. Um, so kind of follow the story here of Louis Jourdain. Um, essentially, this uh, young woman kind of washes on the shore. She's dead in a mysterious circumstances. And uh, he kind of gets involved because he was her doctor or something related to the family in some kind of way. So he gets into the situation and there's an, a sister who's kind of going to take care of um, uh, her daughter. Or there's like an aunt that's going to take care of uh, her the the sister of the girl who died and she has a kind of a fishy husband And there's somebody kind of on the outskirts of their family that's very friendly with them who's a photographer a fashion photographer and uh pretty soon there's this weird kind of emblem that everybody kind of looks at of uh it's the god of uh lust a greek god or roman god whichever i think it's greek that everybody kind of uh, seems to look at and kind of get hypnotized by and we realize quickly that someone's performing these witchcraft kind of deals and, and having these people have nightmares and there's people ending up dead and mysterious circumstances and is up to Louis Jourdain to try to figure this shit out before anyone else is killed. Um, yeah, this is a decent movie. It's very talky. Um, there's lots of kind of just mystery kind of things trying to figure out talking to colleagues and walking and talking and well this thing happens and this happens and there's lots of weird flashes and but uh, the real high of highlight to me is the beautiful cinematography and it kind of gets a little crazy at the end. All in all, it's a decent uh, kind of TV movie. Uh, so yeah, um, anyways, I'm definitely going to check out Fear No Evil, which I really would have liked to watch first because it's supposed to be the first one um but i, I did uh, kind of give it some gl- a glimpse right away and again the cinematography is good but the cast in that one's really strong anyways uh yeah i thought this one was a decent tv movie not amazing but kind of interesting and again a movie about the occult and cults and rituals and, and stuff like that so big big themes in 1970 okay the next one from 1970 is robin redbreast and this is a bbc movie this is a got a good reputation i know a lot of people would say this predates wicker man again they They would say that (laughs) possibly Wickerman kind of lifted some, uh, you know, got some inspiration from this one. Uh, And it, it reminds me a little bit of Crowhaven Farm at the same time. So we have this this woman, middle aged woman, who's going through a divorce. She decides to kind of move to this isolated kind of summer cottage that her and her husband had, and kind of live there. Uh, right away, uh, her friends kind of keep contact with her, but she starts to kind of uh, meet some of the locals, and they're very strange. Like this maid who's always saying these strange things. And one day, she kind of stumbles across this young man who's just kind of practicing martial arts in the wilderness in his underwear. And although he seems kind of dumb and weird, she as a physical attraction to him, and that kind of starts a shaky relationship but strange things just start to happen to her all the time and, and there's just this weird kind of like brief glimpses of a story in this in this town's past and there's just this strange kind of scholar guy who's always around who's got these glasses and he's always saying kind of off the wall shit to her um, and there's a, um, a somewhat iconic nightmare scene that I think kind of pushes this one forward um, to kind of give a lot of people the memory and it's the cover of the movie where it's the, the, the kind of scholar has these weird kind of glasses on these kind of pointers that make him kind of look almost like a bird, like Plague Bird or something like that, which is kind of interesting. But the ending, uh, it definitely has that kind of theme of, you know, rituals and uh, old beliefs and everything like that. It's a fairly short movie um, and is dark. It's black and white and has a dark ending. Uh, pretty much all the violence and that kind of stuff is off screen being a TV kind of made for BBC deal. But it's an interesting movie nonetheless. It's uh, going to be in that folklore box set from Severn Films, and it's another one that I would definitely have to watch from 1970 as it is kind of a, a staple and a popular Movie and another one that kind of, you know, has that folklore kind of superstitious stuff, which is a huge reoccurring theme in 1970 movies. Almost all of them have it. Okay, the next one is kind of a strange, kind of an odd duck for 1970, and this is Blood of the Iron Maiden. And this is more of a comedy film. The score and the sound effects and stuff would suggest more so the score uh, would suggest that this is like a TV comedy movie. Like it plays like a like a sixties like seventies uh, spy movie at times. Like weird kind of deal. Um. So it stars John Carradine. Who this is the last horror film I had to watch for John Carradine. I made sure I, I made sure I hit all the big guys horror movies this year. John Carradine, Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing. I was like, there's no way it's a price. There's no way I'm not watching all their movies for 1970. And they all had like three. Three or four a piece, so you got to get them all. Um, so Uh, he's not the main star in here, he's more of a side player but he's very funny, very funny role so the opening of this film is uh, basically there's this young actress, she's out there looking for a role and she ends up getting involved in this really weird kind of like casting call where like it's this director and this cameraman that are really kind of perverse and the the director's really really larger than life character and he's very like evil and funny and if this was made by Tim Burton I would bet a million dollars it'd be Glenn Shadex so um, RIP and he's just like Yes, take off your and he's trying to convince all these women to take off their clothes in kind of nefarious ways, and it's just not that any of it happens because it's a rather tame movie to be honest. But it's kind of played for laughs and goofy. So, anyways, uh, this woman just ends up getting the role along with two other ones. One who seems to be more involved with these kind of nudie cutie is what they, I would call them, kind of. But this director's planning on doing something a lot more nefarious than that, more a lot more dangerous than that. So, what happens is uh, the actor, uh, the the actress's boyfriend, figures out that she's going to do this role and she took the role and she's out there on 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 you know on location so it's a kind of a mystery of him trying to figure out where she is before he, he finds it's too late and it appears that this one is kind of a snuff film kind of not necessarily attempt to, to want to be a snuff film but there's some serious danger within the movie the director plans on giving everyone lsd and just kind of doing these elaborate things and and filming people die is kind of what you get to and there's an iron maiden kind of torture device within the set and everything that seems to be active um uh, so a lot of the movie is basically them going back to set to trying to make some of the film and people accidentally dying and the director saying absolutely ridiculous over the top stuff his dialogue is absolutely hilarious and actually probably some of the best stuff in the movie the best stuff in the movie would be though John Carradine and his stuff comes into the other half of the movie where the boyfriend of the actress is basically trying to find her before it's too late and he's getting kind of uh, all these crazy characters he finds an actress who worked with him and knows the location but she's so drugged out of her mind that he has to take her to a doctor at the middle of the night and that's John Carradine so there's like a 15 minute scene of John Carradine trying to figure out what's wrong with her, but he's complete quack and he has no idea what the hell's going on. And he's just saying out, outlandish, ridiculous, hilarious things. And that's probably the best part of the movie. Loved it. John Carradine's really solid in it. Besides that, um, it's just a bizarre off the wall kind of semi uneventful movie, but also very goofy and tonally weird, not perfect, but, uh, kind of interesting and different because we have that kind of snuff aspect of movies, which is in there. But anyways, I think the director is kind of a highlight as well as John Carradine. Uh, it's just all right. Um, it's definitely glad I watched it just because it's so fricking weird, but that is blood of the iron maiden from 1970. Hey guys, what's up? We're here for a couple reviews and we're here. Uh, this is actually the Patreon pick. And Jeremy actually sat down and watched... You actually weren't planning on watching. I think it just caught your attention because it's an excellent movie. That's why. And you started watching it. No, it's because my game was updating
1: and it took like ha! three hours.
0: That's why. I don't okay, let him right. you. So it's a Todd Solance movie or Todd Solondz. Every time I say his name the first time, I always say it wrong. Uh, this is called Happiness from 1998. Same director of Welcome to the Dollhouse, which we should watch. I've never actually seen it. And Palindrones, which we watched together. And it is hilarious, dark, and just awful. It's one of these... Kind of movies that just shows you things that are so bad that you just have to laugh. It, it, um, and happiness is like uh, this is a movie that I would put on like a, a top disturbing list movies, but it's also one of the blackest, darkest comedies I've ever seen in my life. And mm-hmm. I, you have um, watching me watch this, did I laugh harder than I laugh on ninety percent of movies? I have a real sick sense of humor if you guys haven't noticed. The the father. Oh my um, god. The. The friend's father,
1: <laughs> particularly.
0: Grasso. Uh, is it mm-hmm. Grasso? It's Grasso. Grasso. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so this movie is basically... It's- it's. I want to say it's vignettes, but it's not really vignettes. It's basically centers around a family and all the characters are connected through this family. Uh, a, it's a mother, father, and three daughters and all their husbands and relationships and all that. And it's just a movie about happiness or looking for happiness or basically saying that absolutely every single human being on this earth is miserable and not happy and yeah, it's uh, excellently, um, it's perfectly cast and and acted. Um, everybody in here is great from the mother and father who are going through a divorce, and Ben Gazzara um, from *Roadhouse*, everybody's favorite uh, Patrick Swayze joint, and uh, Louise Lasser from the uh, cult uh, cult movie uh, *Blood Rage*. But she was an actress who kind of had meltdowns, according to Joe Bob. She made a career out of having meltdowns, but I know her from *Blood Rage* and some other things. Uh, so she was perfectly cast. It was almost like stunt casting. To throw her in that uh, that kind of um, relate that role where she's getting a divorce and she's just kind of struggling through everything, and then there's uh, three sisters, one played by Laura Flynn Boyle, who is a pretentious. Um, complete miserable person uh she's a writer and she's just uh will never let anybody get the up and up on her if they do she would be like oh that's a great idea and laugh at you even though she clearly was going to do that um the other sister who I, I don't think i don't know her actress's name either the other two but they've looked very familiar especially the kind of neurotic one who's mm-hmm. having trouble finding relationships she's in a bunch of stuff and i actually she might be the only character that i think is a good person in the movie and uh, and fucked up enough. I think Philip Seymour Hoffman might be the next best person in the Great. movie. Um, and he he's just this kind of creeper that lives in the apartment of Laura Flynn Boyle. So they're all interconnected. Dylan Baker plays the husband of one of the uh, women, kind of the middle class one who lives the kind of you know, I guess you'd say house uh, wife kind of
1: life. I don't think she has a yeah, job. just like like yeah. a middle class, just a stay at home mom. I think that she's a decent person too, but um, she's caught in a rat race. She yeah, she's caught in a rat race, and she's just kind of like kind of oblivious to, like, what's going on around her. And she also is really judgmental um, to be honest and has a
0: lot of prop they all have a lot of issues but besides that filling out the cast there's um, John Lovitz in pretty much a, a cameo which is mm-hmm. tremendous and again we talked about John Lovitz we talked about him in Southland Tales where he has a really kind of against type performance as well as this one mm-hmm. um, or maybe it's more of an extreme version of himself you see in other films or comedy roles so John Lovitz is an actor who is obviously famous from SNL um, he played the donut guy uh, the Dun- donuts guy Mm -hmm. and he just was a really fun character now that's the ticket um and he's just a, a really fun kind of actor that I always love watching him pop up and stuff from um, City Slickers 2 to Wedding Singer. Sophisticated Mama. I love John Lovitz. He cracks me up. So when he's popped up in these more serious roles, I just think he does a great job. Um, I even like High School High, where he's... I do like High School <laughs> High. Or <Where> the hell's <laughs> our dinner? Sorry. Uh, rates here of John Lovitz. But anyways, just a really great performance by him. And, and um, the actress that's with him is just... She might deliver the best performance in the movie i don't know i don't yes. know um the the sister who's the oh yeah narrator, yeah yeah she, the one i don't know there's three that i'm I'm saying i don't know there's so many good
1: performances in this movie it's impossible to choose um like i i'll of like the the variety of characters that that are in this i do think that the sister um that's like looking for a relationship is probably the most identifiable relatable at least to me <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah, yeah. There, there, there's just so many characters. There's so many different plot lines going on. Um, I love the the neighbor to, uh... Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah. Um, I think that she's fantastic.
0: Well, um, you know, remember that movie? Uh, this is kind of a funny kind of thing that I haven't seen in years. I'd really like to watch it. Um, Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion. Remember yeah. that movie? Do you remember the idea that, um, there were, they were always, like, somebody would shit on them, and then they would shit on somebody else, and, and it just went down and down and down, and Jeanine Garofalo was always shit on the cowboy. So it's like that idea. Um, and also, again, I'll bring up Wedding Singer. Um, uh, the song Love Stinks, which... It's, band. Uh, it's a really fucked up situation. Here. Philip Seymour Hoffman um, is a kind of a pervert that calls and gets off on harassing women and jerking off, and he's infatuated with Laura Flynn Boyle, who will never give him the time to date. They're just, uh, in this kind of world, obviously, out of each, she, she's out of his league.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: and then we have this other kind of, I don't want to be cruel, but she's portrayed as a homely kind of bigger person, just really big, like, uh, like... like tall and broad-shouldered woman who is clearly in love with Philip Seymour Hoffman and, and he has no interest in her. So it's just like that that's how it is. It's just completely screwed up. But their interactions are great, too. Mm-hmm. And at first you think she's just kind of sweet woman just looking for love. And then that's how everything is. You, these different kind of you go under to that uh, that um, suburban life. Or not even suburban because this is city life. But just that middle class or these people. And then you see who they really are. And everybody's mm-hmm. got these nasty dark secrets. And just there's no happiness, even if they are smiling on the outside. Uh, the most controversial storyline is obviously the Dylan Baker one. Right. God bless Dylan Baker for patrolling this world. Or maybe... Satan bless him because that is such a hard performance to do and it's so perfect and darkly comedic with the uh, coach um, that his friend is a coach and both their sons are on the the baseball team or softball team and just watching the coach uh, realize his son's a homosexual and it's a horrible situation in real life like if this were to happen which happens probably all the time especially in the late 90s and before um, to watch him just absolutely be disgusted by his own son but as far as a film is concerned, it's very funny because mm-hmm. he's having talks with Dylan Baker,
1: and he's a psychiatrist. Yeah, who's a like.
0: psychiatrist, uh, and he turns out to be a pedophile, uh, and, and they're on happy marriage, and everything is so fucked up. And the conversations he has with his son about that kind of birds and bees, but it's just uh, he's a pedophile, and he's like kind of sp- scouting out his son's ki- friends. Oh. he, he kind
1: of like takes his birds and bees conversations like a bit too far yeah. like he doesn't know where to well he's also perverted because yeah. he's a pedophile but mm-hmm. his whole story is so so great
0: uh, and i have to mention the divorce stuff with Ben Gazzara and Louise Lasser is fucking hilarious too because Ben Gazzara i feel like he kind of encapsulates that uh, whole um i know that a lot of people would talk about their grandparents or parents like hitting that point in their life how everybody has their kind of self-destructive nature and it depends what you choose to do it mm-hmm. and not getting too deep into what his is is he ends up choosing salt because um how do you feel i don't feel anything i i remember i remember that quote and i right. haven't seen the movie in like 15 years i just remembered exactly and every once in a while i think that everybody has that kind of i don't feel anything kind of emotion
1: well i i love the character that he tries to well she comes on it, ha- have yeah. an affair with and he doesn't even want yeah. to have he doesn't want to just yeah. falls into it he's just like yeah why not and then it's like yeah I'm not it's interested, not in. but she. I think that she was a fantastic character. She, I think she only has like two or three scenes, but um, she she just chooses scenery in each one. I mean, yeah, and Louise Lasser is just completely amazing. Great. Uh, what she breakdown in, in the realtor office. Perfect. <laughs> oh, okay.
0: So just you then. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and the and the work uh, situation where like Do you remember Gary? Is it Gary? He's like that? Uh, then they keep guessing this guy who worked there who yeah. died, and they're just like uh, a Hispanic guy with bad skin. She's like, yeah, sure. Like that's exactly what you do because at the end of stuff, people barely remember. Like they brought up, I brought up a coworker joking around. Um, I don't even want to say how tasteless we are at work, but and I mentioned this person. Somebody's like, I don't remember that guy. Like uh, (laughs) it's just a dead on truth. Like, or you'll you'll get a message from somebody and you're like, I remember when you messaged me or something, but I don't remember at all. You're not in my mind until eventually I see you and then I'm like, oh yeah, that that person. But yeah, this movie is uh, perfect. Dark humor is, is amazing, and I literally, I almost cried uh, again re-watching the scene with the coach when he's like, you think I should get him in a professional? He's like, "You
1: know, like, like a, a hooker. He's like, like a hooker.
0: And he's like, he's 11. He's like, you're right. It's probably too late. <laughs> and then he's like, Dad, Dad, can I stay? Can I stay the night at his house? He's like, whatever, I don't give a shit. <laughs> and he's like, <laughs> he's just, pushed, whatever, I don't give a shit. Uh i i love this movie i think it's perfect i think uh palindromes is perfect i prefer happiness over palindromes i think
1: i like palindromes a bit more but i think i i, I like what they did with, like the main character like swapping her that was group. a very interesting movie um, it's more interesting filmmaking
0: right. i guess you'd say maybe
1: yeah i mean i think that this one is e- the happiness is probably easier to like follow and watch than what palindromes is just because you're not swapping a main character yeah. every chapter um and it's the same character, it's just a different actress. So I, I think it can take some time getting used to. Um, but no, this one is really good. It's really enjoyable. I'd never seen it before this. Um, I had heard of it, but I just never sat down to watch it.
0: you shit. I'm champagne. Oh, I have seen that
1: scene. <laughs>
0: I love that part when he's literally like, "That what was it? An ashtray or something?" He's like, "This is it's like for an someone ashtray or a bowl, or he's like, this is for someone who loves me."
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> it
0: was. It was all together pretty good. Uh, if I had to rate it, I'd give it a perfect, perfect. Nothing wrong with it.
1: I give it like 10 a, out of 10. I like a 4 out of 5. 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10. Love it.
0: Okay, so this is for a blind spot. You picked this one. Both of us yes. hadn't seen it. And this is because we watched that Cat 3 documentary. I knew about these films, but this one caught your attention. That mm-hmm. or, and Sex and Zen, I think it was both of them, a little bit of both of them, how yeah. wacky they looked. Um, they're all Cat 3 movies. Um, that was uh, by Callum Waddell, I believe that documentary was, and it was on the Untold Story Blu-ray, which is a great little doc, and a great movie, if nobody's seen it. Uh, pretty much king of the Cat 3 movies, I would say, is Untold Story, as far as horror-oriented stuff is concerned. So this one is Erotic Ghost Story. It, there's a whole series of these, mm-hmm. and this, uh, yeah, it was made in 1990. It's by, uh, I want to say his name is, uh, is it Ringo Lamb? Well, anyways, if I'm mistaking his name, he is the director of The Cat, which is a bonkers movie from the early 90s. Uh, Cat 3. Is it Cat 3? Probably not, but it's not as violent or as sexual, I don't think. But he also did Story of Ricky, or O, which is an excellent movie. And uh, he has another kind of heavy hitter. The Seventh Curse is another one he did. Anyways, this guy is just, um, he kind of is an expert at over-the-top insane cinema. I think Story of Ricky is fantastic. I love that movie from 91. I think The Cat is excellent. And um, Erotic Ghost Story, I really didn't know what to expect. If it's going to be more horror, more kung fu, more action,
1: more comedy, more exploitation it's more everything it's
0: a little bit everything so go yeah. ahead and take it over if you want to give the plot and everything
1: oh um so what is the plot um we essentially have three sisters um that kind of like move into a town and you find out that they're like half animal half human and that demons I mean. maybe demons um and that it, they have to um be good and virtuous for like a certain number of days and if if they're not good and virtuous then they will turn back into the animals or monsters that they came from so you know they end up falling in love all with the same guy and turns out he's a heck demon too well that was a spoiler (laughs) that that literally happens like 40 minutes into the movie right And uh, so he ends up, the, you know, then they have like the Power Rangers battle. At the end. It's it's simply <laughs> fantastic.
0: Um, I love that he's got three heads when he yeah. turn, he turns into many faces for Mass Universe. Something with these three <laughs> heads, um, and it's really kind of great too. Because if anybody, it kind of like the fight scenes are, you know, obviously like Kung Fu Shaw Brothers style fight scenes, but more so in line with something like um, the evil. What is that one? the evil dead the holy versus the evil dead holy evil dead from 91 the crazy one that is like that where they but anyways it, the opening of the movie like the first 10 mm-hmm. minutes is really funny where um this the, one of the sisters beats up these two assholes that are trying to like look for some buns or something so some, some, that's like a big thing and the pork buns or whatever mm-hmm. the fuck um and she beats them up and they come back to get revenge and she plays this vicious prank on them where she like uh tricks all these guys into like thinking they're having these relationships with these beautiful maidens but it's really just zombies or right, like, just corpses, like horses and, and they have like this pudding goo coming out of them. it's hilarious
1: you know i think so they get all scared um uh and then it it goes like like i i call her the main sister but she's like i think like the older one she's the most noble one right um so she goes into a temple and that's where she sees like like this deity of like multiple heads and she's like oh he's handsome and then um a priest stops her and he's like, you know, you can't be coming in here all lusty, especially if you're like a half fox. So uh, get out and don't let that happen again. And that's where we get the plot of the story from. Um, there is a a scene where all three sisters are meditating and it shows the dreams of two of them. One of them involves them finding like like the scholar, the poet that yeah. ends up being like, you know, like which the main you really don't interest. expect. You think he's going to be a good guy. Yeah, 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 you you do, and, and um, it, it, you know, the, the stuff unravels from there, but the, the Everdream involves, like, them finding, like, a samurai, not a samurai, but, like, a warlord kind of guy, like, on a horse, but he never shows up in the movie, so I don't know if that's, like, deleted scene from another a deleted movie. deleted scene, or, <laughs> it's like, from another movie. a sequel, I yeah, I don't know what the point in showing that was, especially because <laughs> it's not, it's, like, like, she's... She's walking in the woods, and he rides up on the horse. And then she flies along the side of the horse. And then it ends, and it's never brought up again. So I'm like, it makes sense with the scholar dream, because like that's like foreshadowing yeah. that when she ends up seeing him, she ends up falling in love with him. Like, oh, you're in my dream, and of course she's trying that. The the, um, the the older sister is trying to like slowly. Fall in love with him. He yeah. he doesn't want a relationship. He he's all about studying and. But he really he wants to. He needs the
0: sex to stay young himself. He does. He so does. He um, feasts on the sex. They need to stay virtuous,
1: so or they're gonna turn to. The, it's just a
0: bunch of monsters playing like well, well, don't,
1: like. Never... Yeah, but but it's it's like a weird like plot though, like because he he he's all nervous around her. He he doesn't have any interest. She's trying to be like like traditional and formal about it, and then. The ever two sisters get nosy and so they go up and they get like they, they just start fucking them. Um and I should mention <laughs> that this movie is extremely explicit when it yeah. comes to nudity.
0: And they make sure that all the women have giant breasts and they're nude all the time. And all the women are gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um there's no uh there's no dong in it. But no. uh, there's there's plenty of that guy half naked as well. So there's a lot of sexy, steamy scenes that uh I enjoyed. They were good scenes, they're yeah, good sexy scenes. They're okay. And then they have the neighbors, which are a very funny. Oh, they're couple. they're really fun. Um, there's a really weird scene where he like goes out the uh, the scholar and he like finds that woman and like molest her because it's kind of weird. Never like oh
1: we yeah when when it's kind of like showing up that oh he's a demon and he yeah. he has to seduce her with like the butterfly yeah. thing yeah. Um, and then That's like pretty cool. yeah, and the, the battles are awesome. Like the battles are awesome. They all have like magic, so like people are like. There's one scene where. The, the one of the sisters like blows away three bandits, and like one of them just like lifts like 20 feet in the end, like a lot of wire ground. work, a lot of cool wire work. I think like, they fly. actually killed that guy, yeah. They probably did kill that guy, yeah, honestly. Um,
0: which is weird this week because I watched The Dark, which is the um, she uh, saw the Bud Cardos movie. And for 1979, and there's a lot of crazy wire work in that, especially the ending is right out of, like, a, um, a Hong Kong movie or something with, like, the, the monster shooting laser beams. Mm-hmm. It's straight out of one of these things. Like, you're like, wait, I've seen that. But, actually, this predates it. But it, it those ones in the 70s were probably, because that one's 79, so there's oh, a lot yeah. of these weird Hong Kong kind of style movies before that or Chinese movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought this was great. I thought this was vastly entertaining. I really loved it. Um, no complaints. I ordered the um, 88 uh, Films Blu-ray. Before we watched it, because I thought I had this, but I really I don't think I did. So we we definitely ordered a copy. I was unsure because I have a bunch of old uh, Asian films on DVD, right. and I didn't see it. So yeah,
1: well, I, you know, I would like to like at some point watch. Um, also, is it Sex and Zen? Sex and Zen, there's three of those, and, and then, then there's, there's more of these there's, ones. There's three
0: of these, but there's yeah. also more that were more modern, but I'm not interested in the ones <coughs> made in the last ten years or No, so. no. I
1: can imagine those are just probably, like, sex films. I'm, I'm sure. Yeah. But, like, some some of these ones that are, like, yeah, they have the sex scenes, but, like, when they have, like like, the fun plot stuff and the neat costumes and, like... Like, especially like the Kung Fu fighting. It's like with magic. I'm like, yeah, I really kind of want to watch this. Especially then you add sex in there and sleaze and comedy. See, I can it's even crazy. do without the sex. I don't even care. But I like the monsters, though, too. But, you know, I'm somebody that like casually and openly reads like Yaoi. But it's like, yeah, there's sex scenes in They don't in need Yowie. your life story. They, they need it. But, you know, I, I'm... I'm I'm reading it for the plot, you know. I'm I'm, reading, I'm reading I read I read the article, article. <laughs> I read Playboy for the articles, guys. There's some good articles in there, all right? Hey, Killing Stocking is is a work of art, all right? I'll stick to Pinky films. Okay. They're better. What'd you give this one? 4 out of 5. I'd give this one a 4 out of 5 too. Um, so look next at you're week. using my rating system because it was like it 10 kind of 10. bullshit. No, it's not. It doesn't. It's like matter. we had 10 points, then I give quarter stars as well, so it's it's really just like a 80 point system. 800 points i'm gonna start doing 100 points <laughs> yeah <system>. fuck off
0: <laughs> uh, so um that was an 80 percent right there out of 100 <laughs> that was a b uh no actually be a c but we're not going on those we're gonna we're going on the 10 percent we're going back to grade school so right. that's a b or a B minus so anyways next week is my choice it's gonna be another blind spot um because we both had seen it and i really wanted to always watch this movie i've seen almost all david lynch's films right This is pretty much one of the only ones I haven't seen besides Straight Story and Inland Empire, and this is Dune. 1984 Dune. There's a 4K that just came out. We're going to watch this two-and-a-half-hour monstrosity. I've always heard such negative things about it. People are like, it doesn't make any sense. It's the worst Dune adaptation ever. And I'm just like, I heard Dune is the most confusing, bizarre story of all time, so I have no protective like a, a protective like nature towards dune so like i just want to see something really cool and different and weird and i know carlo rimbaldi did effects on it i know it's got kyle mclaughlin and um, a bunch of people in it i'm just hopefully i can follow it and if i can't it's
1: entertaining and crazy well so, you know sometimes when books are adapted in the movies like yeah they, they might ignore parts of the book and you know people that have read the book might are mad about it and i get that At the same time, though, sometimes watching the movie when you've never read the book gets you to want to read the books. Exactly. Um, So it's a double-edged sword. I mean, maybe we'll watch this and maybe I'll end up reading Dune. I mean, I don't have the time to read that. I'm still three-fourths of the way through War and Peace. but Maybe one
0: day. This movie was also... uh... Taken away, I think. Either, and, yeah, and, there's and, a history with yeah. this movie. And then there's, of course, the Jodorowsky. Jodorowsky's Dune mm-hmm. that was supposed to be before. And I guess that movie was going to be like 14 hours long. And they were like, wait,
1: what? And he was like, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: Jodorowsky's insane,
1: but I he mean, makes so the best Lord movies. of the Rings, you know what I mean? Like, sometimes movies have to be that yeah. long. Yeah, they do. And yeah. I mean, that, that's insane that they
0: actually let Lord of the Rings happen like that. And that's New Line Cinema took that chance. Mm-hmm. The house that Freddy built really... Took the chance on Lord of the Rings. That's awesome. And so it wouldn't be there if it weren't for Freddy Krueger. You wouldn't have Lord of the Rings. So thank Freddy Krueger. What? Really? I think it's... Uh, all right. <laughs> no. Forget <laughs> the guy who wrote the books. Forget Peter Jackson. Forget... Uh, thank Freddy Krueger. It's not It's not Bob Shea. It's Freddy Krueger. He did everything with his claw hand. Yeah. What and, and the help
1: of New Zealand. Now that they got rid of all the parrots. What? The ground parrots. The they, ground were, they were holding them back. They <laughs> had to get
0: stomped out of existence right. for no apparent reason. So anyways, next week is Dune. R.I.P. Ground parrots. We're out of here. All right. Bye. Okay. Let's get into these questions, comments, and concerns. So, Isimisio, some of my fave folk horror are Baba, Quaidon, the OG Wicker Man, of course, Jug Satan Slave, remake over the OG, Border, 2018, which I don't know if counts, but it's a Swedish film about trolls, not sure if you and Jeremy do multiple ta- takes, but you guys should add a blooper reel sometimes. I, if, if there's a funny blooper at the very end, I do add it. Um, Adam um, Aola, yes, yes, push that kinky uh, collection. Good sir, good man. Yes, I will. And then Nick Mua. Although I'm very fond of Ben Wheatley's Kill List and Ari Aster's Midsommar, my favorite folk horror feature is and will always be The Wicker Man. Robin Hardy directed Class acts: Christopher Lee, Edward Woodward, Anchored Pitt, and Brick Eklund superbly. The music is out of this world, the scenery breathtaking. The film just stays with you. I'm touched every time I watch it. This feature has lost none of its power and revelancy. I know that's a word, is overused now, over 40 years later. Also, I fully agree with you about Patrick Wilson, Ed Warren, Edward in The Conjuring is a fantastic thespian. Like Mr. Wilson stated himself, Bone Tomahawk and Hard Candy are much more adult whore. The Conjuring is more family-oriented scares. 100% true. Questions. Are there any PG-13 whore flicks that are actually you to consider PG whore a contradiction in terms? No, no, no. Not at all. Um, Poltergeist PG-13 or was it still PG? Because um, that one would be equivalent to a PG-13 and that one's a scary movie. Um... Stuff like, uh yeah, so let's say Poltergeist and those kind of lines is scary. I mean, and when I was a kid, I was terrified of it. Will you be reviewing the folklore documentary included in the severed set if you have the time? Yes, if I have the time, I'd like to review the entire box set. That's going to be difficult, though. Have you found out which one is uh, the Slutty Tank Top? <laughs> Will copies become available in Mr. Parker's online store? I have no idea what he meant by Slutty Tank Top, but it's crack. Cracks me. But I wear tank tops because I just. Uh, I know it's kind of, I like the tank tops. They're comfortable and I wear shorts whenever I can. I know it's like scrubby, but I mean, I don't go like out to like eat to a fancy restaurant with a tank top and je- and, and, and shorts. I'll, I'll dress up if I have to, but most of all, I'd like to wear a tank top and some shorts. So um, yeah, uh, Mark, no, I'm not having an online store. Mark Jones at large. The Kinky Trilogy looks super interesting right up my alley. I love gang films. Debut at Dawn is one of my favorites. I love Debut at Dawn. George Hilton, favorite folk horror film would have to be Robin Hardy's 1973 film, The Wicker Man. Outstanding performances by Christopher Lee and Edward Woodward. I enjoy The Stranger in a Strange Land aspect to it and the film's final twist. Recent years, I really love The Witch. I think it's one of those fave horror films from the 2010s. David Scott, great reviews as always, and you're killing it with the 1970 watches. Cheers for the shout-out. No problem. I totally agree with your thoughts on Sinister, though. I find the characters very dull and have no sympathy or emotional attachment to them. Good to see the love for the Babadook. Last week's question, one performance which I thought was great, and this is more for you jennifer carpenter's jennifer carpenter's performance from exorcism emily rose you know how i feel about that movie and her performance is amazing i'd say the witch but that is also one of my favorite uh all-time favorite movie favorites now and also kill list He's basically mentioned those as folklore. Incarnate, wow, that's crazy! That you never seen the original. Just figured you'd come across it at some point. I seen the original airing at a two-part miniseries on TV as a wee lad, and it messed me up. He's talking about Salem's Lot. I was used to hammer whore, hammer vampires up until then, but the vampires in Salem's Lot just seemed way more sinister and terrifying. Being naive an and underexposed kid, I was naive. You should definitely watch both. See the original first, of course. DJ Boy three two seven five Dave, hundred percent, you are the best reviewer on here. I really enjoy your videos. I know I don't comment a lot, but I'm always watching. I agree that The Babadook is a great film. I've always loved that film and never understood the hate that it garners. Great review of Under the Skin. You broke it down, shining a light on the meaning of the film. Better than anyone else that has reviewed it. Take care, my friend. Thank you very much. Like I said, I, I listen to smarter people than myself. Um, I listen to kind of the general consensus. I, I I talk about what I agree with, what I disagree with, and I try to add something new to the, the, to the um, film for myself or a critique or something. Sometimes I succeed sometimes i don't but i appreciate all all the nice comments art figaro he also says yeah thanks dave appreciate all you do ken coakley my favorite folklore movie has got to be the wicker man 73 i saw it at my local cinema three times every time they showed it the audience were mentioning the great soundtrack by the late great american songwriter paul giovanni when the innkeeper's daughter was naked and singing that song i always believed that she was trying to save Howie's life if he loses his virginity he isn't sacrificed. Another one is The Devil Rides Out. It's one of my favorite Hammer films. It was interesting to see Christopher Lee as the protagonist for a change. Yeah, I believe he's the protagonist in the Hammer movie, The Gorgon, too. And he also is in The Hound of Baskersville as so a good guy. I love him in both of those. And Horror Express, he's a good guy. Sometimes I don't know which one I prefer. I would like to give an honorable mention to Blood on Satan's Claw. I like the audio commentary by the League of Gentlemen on the Blu-ray. I've not got a chance to rewatch that, but I remember liking it. Timothy Hayes, what do you mean by folk whore? And I'm going to say, see examples below because there's a million. Stephen Hickey, Midsommar is a de- uh, decent modern effort, but I'd say uh, any of the All Unholy Trinity, Witchfinder General, Blood on Satan's Claw, Wicker Man. If I had to narrow it down to one, I'd go Wicker Man. Legit classic. Derek B. Bourgeois, The Lair of the White Worm, Hands Down. I also really love Blood on Satan's Claw and Pumpkinhead. Pumpkinhead's a good one. Uh, Nathaniel Hillaby, Eyes of Fire. Britton Heller, The Wicker Man or Midsommar? Both of my top 10 list of all time. Nice. Tom Lee Rudder. Shout out to my own film, Bella, and The Witch Elm, if you want more underground but legit slice of folk horror. Daniel Roebuck LaFleur, Valerie, and Her Week of Wonders. Great movie. Uh, Justin LaFleur, Horror Hotel, a.k.a. City of the Dead, Midsommar, Haxon, Witchcraft Through the Ages, The Ritual, Children of the Corn, Black Death, Love Black Death, Crucible, Brotherhood of Satan, Final Prayer, A.K. Borderlands, and The Cat with Hands. The Cat with Hands is a name I know, but i would never seen that one. I know you just asked for one. I'm a giver. That's okay. Paul Lynch, The Wicker Man, Ed, Edward Payson, um, Midsommar, Andrew, Aaron Crothers, Emmerdale, question mark, and uh, David Luton comments, it was worse when it was Emmer, Everdale, Emmerdale Farm, Will Wallace, Blood on Satan's Claw, Johnny Terrace, The Company of Wolves, Scott Davids, uh... Oh, that's a good one, he agrees, and but he mentions Blood on Satan's Claw and The Witchfinder General, Nathan Barter, Barterbaugh, Eyes of Fire, Completely Nuts, Philip Hinton, Jeepers Creepers, uh, Giorgio Argenti, Midsommar, Paul Talbot, The Shadow of the Chickacara, which is a Joe Don Baker movie. I had to look that one up. I've seen the poster before. I've never seen the movie. Uh, Levy Everhart's uh, Midsommar, or I don't know if this counts, Kill List, Keith Voight Jr. Honestly, I haven't seen much. Wicker Man remake, not original, and... Uh, Midsommar are my favorites Remake Crazy I hear that's pretty terrible Steve, I've never seen it though Steve Wandling uh, Wicker Man, Blood on Satan's Claw, Midsommar Troy Haworth, The Wicker Man Followed by The Witchfinder General And Blood on Satan's Claw Overall I found it oddly overhyped genre Troy Haworth, coming in there Hot take, right? <laughs> I know everybody Hot take, such an overused phrase So annoying Ryan Minton Logston, Does Jugface count? I would say so And Chris Carroll Oh, I love Jugface and uh, Brandon Young, Midsommar, Apostle, The Devil Rides Out, The Witch are my favorites. If I have to say one, i would honestly going to go with Midsommar. Tim Walker, I'd say The Witch, but I got to give a shout out to Eyes of Fire. More people need to see that one. It's on YouTube if anyone wants to give it a try. And it's also coming out from the Folk, folk Horror uh, box set from Severn. And Steve Van Meter, The Wicker Man, the original. million times better than that ripoff Midsommar. I have talked about what I had to say in the Midsommar review, but that's nonsense. David Luton, The Wicker Man, Blood on Satan's Claw, Witchfinder General, and Kill List. Also, I really like Neil Marshall's directing from 2020, even though everyone else seemingly hated it. Peter Engelin, 1966 Incubus is his favorite. Then he has V, or Vi, uh, Macbeth from 71, The Wicker Man, The Crucible, Kill List, Midsommar. Good list. Incubus. Man, I don't know if I know that one, to be honest. I'll have to look into that from 66. Um... Eric Whiting, my favorites aside from The Wicker Man and V are The Witch. I forgot about Haxman until now, which is awesome. Um, Okay, so Kurt Jensen, Onibaba, Inicio Hernandez, The Original Wicker Man, Eric Waters, Halloween 3, Duncan McLeish, November is pretty sweet. Cool movie, really nuts. Cody Rapp, uh, The Witch, Steven Friedle. The best one is easily XJSJDA, whatever. Classic. Um, Chris Truex, The Witch, Stanley Eastman, It Has to Be the Original Wicker Man, Blood on Satan's Claw, Kill List from Recent Memory. Brian Walganger The Wind, John Fisher, Trash Humpers. I never watched that as folklore, it's strange. Cody Gearhart, um, Vanilla, It's Midsummer, Donald a Farmer, Dr. fives JP Andrica, Plagtown, The Wicker Man, Slash Tree, The Minotaur, Blood on Satan's Claw, Midsummer, Zach Hill, Mark of the Devil Count. Best I got at the moment without repeating someone's. BJ Colangelo, without repeating others, The Wretched, The Ritual, The Commune, Jugface, Valerie, Valerie and a week of Wonders, Daniel Didtea, The Wicker Man, or if Virgin Spring counts, Def Kill List, Shane Glass, The Guardian, does that count? I mean, it counts as much as you want it to. Lee Russell, Kill List, The Stone Tape, In the Earth, Kevin Keegan, The Wailing, Jesse Bird. First that comes to mind is The Wicker Man, Uh, Ken Cosner, The Wicker Man, Matthew L. Furman, Wish, uh, Kill List. I almost said Wish List. That's definitely not it. So anyways, I guess we're going to get into the question of the week. This one's just off the top of my head. And I want to know, not what your favorite label is, but what label do you have the most from? Um, for me, it's gotta be Arrow, Vinegar Syndrome, or Screen Factory, not your, f- or Kino, one of those four, not your favorite, which ones you just have the most from, it could be any label, VHS, I have a DVD, Blu-ray, 4K, let me know. So before we jump into the update, I'm going to draw five names for the Patreon guys, this bag is getting fat, um, so five names, mix it up, see what we're going to get. First up, we got Eau Claire, and it is The Craft from 1996, which I haven't watched in 100 years, 120 years to be exact. Um, Next is, what do we got here? We got Jason Willard, A Star is Born, the 2018 version, which would be interesting for me to cover. Um, What else do we have? That's two. Oh, Tom Brooker, The Crush from 1993 i've never seen that one uh we got four here dan the cameraman clint eastwood movie i've never seen maybe i'll do tightrope maybe i'll do something bigger i don't know he said it can be directed or acted doesn't matter so what's next let's get one from the bottom break up some of these in here which is one right from the top. I just put it in. Uh, Nick Mua, The Hills Run Red by Dave Parker. So that's the five movies. I'll zip that bag back up, and then we're gonna hop into the update. Okay, let's start this update uh, with the book, Murder by Design, The Unsane Cinema of Dario Argento by Troy Haworth. Uh, yeah, so he sold this to me for a good deal. He said that he had a bond, uh, like five with like dings, posted on Facebook uh he signed it for me awesome i i don't have as many film books as i would want i um, definitely going to pick some more up i just don't have as much time to read as i would like but troy howarth is one of my favorite guys out there doing commentaries and everything like that so uh when i had a chance to grab this one i, I jumped right on it so uh anyways uh yeah i imagine this is an awesome book it looks great uh very cool and he gave me a good deal, so I couldn't pass that up. And I, I'm always worried about buying really expensive books, like hardcovers and everything like that, because it's, it's like, oh no, I'm going to dent it and ruin it right away. So if there's already a little dent, which is very at the top, I'm like, okay, now I. Books are meant to be enjoyed and read, right? So, anyways, looks awesome. Can't wait to check it out. And let's hop into the Blu-rays. First, we're going to start with the vinegar syndrome kind of. Well, I'll start with these ones, the Kino. <laughs> so, basically, what we have here is some Kino ones. Uh, the six Vincent Price ones they recently just re-released. Some of these were, I think all of them were originally Screen Factory releases in the Vincent Price sets, all of, a lot of which are out of print. Vincent Price, Elizabeth Shepherd, Tomb of Lygia, Edgar Allan Poe. Never seen this one. Uh, who directed, Roger Corman did this one, uh, from 65. Uh, then we have, uh, Jules Verne, Master of the World, Vincent Price, Charles Bronson. We reviewed this one, me and Jeremy. Enjoyable, fun movie, uh. Vincent Price is, I mean, Charles Bronson is some sort of, I think he was a scientist, which cracks me up. Then we have uh, The Raven, which we also covered. Uh, Vincent Price, Peter Laurie, Boris Karloff, another uh, Corman movie, very funny, very entertaining, from 63. Then we have The Last Man on Earth with Vincent Price, an Italian one based on the novel I Am Legend, which is one of my favorite books ever. Um, Yeah, and this one uh, we also covered as well. Great movie, great movie. It's a price, very fun. Uh, Then we have The Comedy of Terrors, Um, again, The trio are back. It's a of Pierlori, Boris Karloff. And if I'm not mistaken, this is also probably uh, a Corman-directed one. Maybe not. Uh, Written by Richard Matheson. I'm double-checking here. I'm not 100% sure if he actually directed this one or not. But uh, yeah, so this is from 64, Comedy of Terror. And last, uh, certainly not least, of these six is Theater of Blood from 1973 starring Vincent Price. This is an absolute blast of a movie if nobody's ever seen it. And there was a Twilight Time Blu-ray. There was an Arrow Blu-ray, but it's nice to have another widely available American release. Um, this is by uh, Douglas Hitchcock, father of Anthony Hitchcock, Anthony Hitchcock's who would make a bunch of horror films including Hellraiser 2 and Sundown Vampire Retreat. So yeah. We got some Vinegar Syndrome movies here. Uh, Tough Guys Don't Dance. Um, Freaking Wings Houser on there. Ryan O'Neill, Isabella Rosalini. The Cannon Group presents. That's right. Um, I'm not too familiar with this movie, but uh, it sounds hilarious. Probably just for the sheer fact that this is Tough Guys Don't Dance, Cannon Group, and Wings Hauser's on the front. Gotta love Wings. Then we have Girls School Screamers, which I don't know if I've ever watched. I remember this being a trauma movie, of course. The Finishing School that finished them off. That's a fun will take, look at this guy on the side. Um, so yeah, this looks like a fun movie. L- like the cover art for sure. The slip cover's pretty cool. Uh, then we have Auntie Lee's Meat Pies, which I did a VHS voyage of and figured this would never get a blu-ray release or a dvd release i am freaking wrong here that's right this is a karen black movie look at that uh like i said everybody should be in jean shorts i said that at one point jokingly uh <laughs> and jeremy said i shouldn't <laughs> i look terrible in jeans shorts uh, okay then we have also michael Berryman's in this one and, and pat murata from the karate kid this is a weird film i can't believe that this is on blu-ray but yeah i guess the world we live in Auntie Lee's Meat Pies, then we have Terminal Island, um, which is a Stephanie Rothman movie, Stephanie Rothman movie, and I believe it is, uh, never seen this one, so um, it's got a decent reputation on there, it's a freaking 4K, probably should have done this one first, to be honest, but hey, here we are, I believe Tom Selleck is in this movie, if I'm not mistaken, is this the one with Tom Selleck, um, anyways, uh, Terminal Island, I think I had a, a Blu-ray of it, but now we got a 4K, very cool. And then we have um, Whatever It Takes, with Fred Williamson, Don the Dragon Wilson, and Andrew Dice Clay. This is a, a video archive. Um, what else we got here? Gotta love Fred Williamson. Oh, we got a nice little poster in there. <laughs> Dice man. There was a time when he was in a handful of movies. There was another one that I watched that he was in recently. Cannot remember the name. It was like a, kind of a thriller deal. Then here we have a uh, phantasm some breast on the cover there Probably gonna have to block that one out and phantasm rides again. I don't know if I oh sorry about that guys. I don't know if I can open and show you the rest of this one. Yeah I guess that's not too explicit there. Probably was. I think it was. So uh yeah, that one might be blurred out a little bit <laughs> uh, then we have psycho sisters. And this is one of these movies I think that was made like in that weird kind of way. One of those ones that, um, the wave productions, which I do not know how these movies are going to play out, but I am interested nonetheless. I just hope that like after like 10 minutes, they don't wear out their welcome because you never know with this kind of stuff. Um, then we have commando ninja. Exactly. Uh, looks ridiculous. More destructive than a commando. More deadly than a ninja. He is the commando ninja. This could be fun. This could be terrible. You never are quite sure with those kind of movies. And then we have She-Freak. An egg for movie. In collaboration with uh, something weird. This looks cool. She-Freak coming may blow your mind. An orgy of evil. Uh, yeah, it looks fun. This one looks cool. Very cool. And then we have some imports. We got The Haunted House of Horror by Michael Armstrong, if I'm not mistaken. Frankie Avalon, Jill Hayworth, uh, Dennis Price. We got some more people in there. This one I always heard decent things about. I always wanted to get it, so I finally uh, bit the bullet and grabbed this one. 1969 horror film, cool. And then we have the 80s version of Day of the Triffids, uh, BBC, video, uh, the miniseries, 1981 version. Very cool, definitely gonna check this out when I get a chance. And then we have a DVD, final DVD, of the Best of British Collection, Day of the Terriffids, the one me and Jeremy just watched. Wanted to own it. So, yep, I was hoping for a Blu-ray, unfortunately that did not happen. But I guess we're gonna hop back to the video. Okay guys, thank you very much for watching, and as always, have a good one.